Good evening, everybody. Welcome back to the Mythgard Academy. This is session number five of our discussion of Alice's Adventures, as we finally actually get to chapter seven <laughs> this evening. I say that fairly confidently, as we're going to start there. Uh, so I figured that seems more or less safe. Um, we got through um, Pig and Pepper last week, um, and we were watching the way in which Alice's words were being manipulated, especially by the caterpillar at the end of chapter five. Um, that was one of the places where we began to see a, a shift in the way that um, Alice was being sort of dealt with. Um, a couple trends we've been looking at. One was um, Alice's um, self-absorption, right? The uh, um, sort of lack of empathy or sympathy with which she was responding to other creatures. Um, and then looking at the way that her own words were being uh, kind of responded to as well. Um, so let's look at what happens to her when she gets to the Mad Tea Party. Uh, the Mad Tea Party uh, is one of the, 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 I think, at least in my own uh, experience with Alice in Wonderland stuff, uh, the most famous scene uh, in this entire um, uh, in this entire book. Um, and it's very noteworthy for the way in which it is focusing on words and the use of words. So let's um, begin with the Hatter and the March Hare here. Um, the Hatter opened his eyes very wide on hearing this. But all he said was, Why is a raven like a writing desk? Come, we shall have some fun now, thought Alice. I'm glad they've begun asking riddles. I believe I can guess that, she added aloud. Do you mean that you think you can find out the answer to it, said the March Hare? Exactly so, said Alice. Then you should say what you mean, the March Hare went on. I do, Alice hastily replied. At least, at least I mean what I say. That's the same thing, you know. Not the same thing a bit, said the Hatter. Why, you might just as well say that I see what I eat is the same thing as I eat what I see. You might just as well say, added the March Hare, that I like what I get is the same thing as I get what I like. You might just as well say, added the Dormouse, which seemed to be talking in its sleep, that I sleep, I breathe when I sleep is the same thing as I sleep when I breathe. It is the same thing with you, said the Hatter, and here the conversation dropped, and the party sat silent for a minute, while Alice thought over all she could remember about ravens and writing desks, which wasn't much. Okay. Um, so, first of all, we see a very similar trend, like just as the caterpillar at the end of her conversation with the caterpillar was catching Alice up on the assumptions that she was making about the extent to which, um, uh, about the extent to which, uh, people are, she's assuming people will play along with her words. Right. Um, and they, you know, like when she was saying, you know, you know, Right. Um, and uh, the caterpillar was taking that as, um, you know, an active claim about its knowledge. Right. Um, now, notice the thing that she says is, I believe I can guess that. I believe I can guess that. Now, that's a different kind of thing. Right. Um, 
she's not using one of those sort of rhetorical affectations, right, which really does say something quite different than she means. Um, the March Hare says, do you mean that you think you can find out the answer to it? And Alice says, exactly so. Now, so she has said, I believe I can guess that. And the March Hare says, do you mean you think you can find out the answer to it? Where lies the difference? What exactly is the March Hare pushing at, right? Um, yes, that sounds very Chesterton, uh, Mad Violinist. I'd never heard that before, uh, that G.K. Chesterton proposed the following answer to that riddle, why is a raven like a writing desk? Because both produce notes, though they are very flat. Um, that's, <laughs> that, sounds, that sounds very Chesterton. Um, uh, yeah, yeah. Um, or JJ suggests because Poe had much to write on both. Um, <laughs> that's also, that's also a good answer, JJ. Um, Alice is excited. We shall have some fun now, thought Alice. I'm glad they've begun asking riddles. Alice is glad and believes that fun is about to happen, right? We shall have some fun now. The plural is interesting there. It's not I shall have some fun now, right? But we shall have some fun now. Is she? T it sounds like she is taking the Mad Hatter's... Um, she's taking the Mad Hatter's riddle as a sign that they are all entering into a game together. Right now we will have some. Fun. Oh, good. This now I feel on safe ground. Right. We're asking riddles and asking riddles. I know how to do. Right. I'm glad they've begun asking riddles. OK, good. Um, and then what she says is. Um, I believe I can guess that. Um, and yeah, so. J.J., I agree. J.J. says, I see guessing something as being different from figuring it out. Guessing seems more tentative, while figuring it out seems that it will be more certain. Yes, exactly. Um, what is the, the kind of place? So Alice, when she says, I believe I can guess that, this is her making the next move in a dance that she thinks she knows, Right? Someone asks you a riddle, what do you do? You guess the answer, right? I mean, um, we know that this is the proper language. Um, certainly our, our experience with Bilbo should tell us that that's the language that one uses. That's the vocabulary of the riddle game, right? Um, what do you call a response in a riddle game? You call it a guess, right? This is why... Uh, this is why Gollum asks for three guesses, right? When Bilbo asks his question, right? Um, I believe I can guess that. But the March Hare points out... So what the March, March Hare is pointing out there in his response is that that language, that apparently accepted language for what is happening in a riddle game is actually inaccurate. You're not, you're not guessing. You're not guessing. Do you mean that you think you can find out the answer to it, right? 
And the difference does seem to me, I agree with you, JJ, to be um, uh, to be the difference between guessing and finding out, right? Um, if we um, if we look at the if we sort of compare closely those two statements, right? Which Alice noticed takes as synonyms. She does not see any difference in what she said and what the March Hare says. I believe I can guess that. You think you can find out the answer to it. And she says, exactly so. That, that's exactly. It's not, that's not just, like, vaguely what I said, right? That's exactly what I said. Um, and, of course, the March Hare is going to call her out and say, you should say what you mean. That's not what you said, right? So where does the difference lie? It can't be in the first part. She said, I believe... I can guess that. And the March Hare says, you think you can find out the answer. I don't think the distinction that the March Hare is making lies in I believe versus you think. Right? Probably not. Though perhaps that's part of it as well. Right? This is not a matter of uh, belief, necessarily, as it is uh, uh, one of... Again, it's about thinking. Rather than, again, what she's believing is she's believing, she believes something about herself, right? I believe I can guess that. Um, So again, I don't think the March Hare is making a significant distinction there between I believe and you think. But, so to me, where the significance of the distinction seems to lie is in I can guess versus you can find out the answer. Um, If one were merely to guess riddles. It would be a time-consuming process indeed, right? Um, I'm going to say a bunch of randoms were a bunch of random words, um, uh, and you know, I'm, that is, I'm I'm genuinely going to guess what the answer might be, right? By like trial and error until I guess correctly, right? It's not it's not about guesswork. It's about finding out the answer. There is an answer, a single answer, and you believe that you can find out that answer. Um, And that answer then won't be a guess at all, right? It will be, what, a a conclusion, right? In in any case, but it'll be, it'll be, um, uh, it'll be an answer. Um, Yeah, I wonder, David, it seems to me, I... I agree that in every other case in which Alice has been called up, she clearly is guilty, right, of, yeah, I'm not hideously guilty, but she's clearly guilty of making a, making a, a, a statement, one based on normal conversational convention, but nevertheless a statement which in itself doesn't make sense, right? Um uh, like when she added, you know, at the end of that statement to the caterpillar. No, she the caterpillar doesn't know, right? So um, that doesn't actually work. But I agree with you, David, that what Alice said, the I believe works better than the you think you can find out the answer to it. Um, until she has found out the answer, it is a question of belief in herself, right? So I actually think that Alice's statement, the first half of Alice's statement is more accurate. If the March Hare wants to quibble which they all do, right? But if the March Hare wants to quibble about the word guess, um, then, okay, right? There, I think, perhaps the March Hare has something to work with there, 
right, to say that it isn't actually a guess. It's about finding out the answer. Um, it's not about uh, it's not about guessing. Um, but I, I think I agree with you that Alice's phrasing of I believe is actually better than you think you can find out. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, right. So uh, uh, Chris says, so if she'd answered, I believe I have found out, I believe I have found it out, uh, she would have been following the March Hare's process correctly. I think so. At least, again, that I that would seem to me a statement quite difficult to uh, uh, to quibble with. Right. Um, the March Hare seems to be baiting her primarily. Right. Um, that, do you mean that you think you can find out the answer to it? Exactly so. Then you should say what you mean, the March Hare went on. I do, Alice hastily replied. She, this matters to her, right? I do say what I mean. Um, what is she clinging to? She is clinging to the idea that there is real substance behind her words, right? Um, she is still resistant to the proof of the Cheshire Cat um, that she and and everyone else in this country is mad, Right? Um, she's mad because she went down the rabbit hole, which is a mad thing to do, right? Um, but, uh, which is hard to argue with, and Alice doesn't argue with that, does she? Um, but, uh, she, so what she's clinging to is the idea that what she, that there's what she says and what she means, and there's a, there is a close relation between the two of them. But she immediately qualifies it. Why? Well, at the very least, she has just had the experience with the caterpillar. But even her experience, perhaps, with the pig suggests that, at least in this place where she is right now, there's some slippage or potential for slippage, isn't there? Um, that is, like, she thought she was holding a baby and called it a baby, right? Um, she even talked about how adorable the baby's nose was, how precious the baby's nose was. But it then became a pig, right? So, you know, and by degrees, so that she didn't know what to call it. So again, there, too, we can see sort of dramatized in a different way the slipperiness of the relationship between what she says and what she means, between the word and the thing, right? Um, but anyway, so Alice is conscious, it seems, or at least a little bit self-conscious, at least, of the the dangers there, of the slippage there, right? She's been called up on this a bunch of times already. I do, at least, at least I mean what I say, and that's the same thing, you know. And she puts her foot straight in it there, right? Um, you should say what you mean. I do say what I mean. At least, at least I mean what I say. And that's the same thing you know. You can tell she's put her foot in it by adding the you know. Exactly, Alyssa. That's, this is, um, uh, shows she's clearly not learned too much from her previous experience, right? Um, but again, that seems to me to follow on her... Uh, tentativeness, her uncertainty, at least, at least that's the same thing, you know, right? Because she is not confident. She wants to assert the connection between her words and the things, 
right? Um, but she's uneasy. Her speech betrays her uneasiness and uncertainty here, right? So how does she try to firm it up? That's the same thing you know, right? And of course, that's exactly one of the effects of using the phrase you know at the end of a statement in the way which was often done in England in the 19th century, right? This is a, this was a, a common British expression, ending the statement with, you know, like that. Um, that's the same thing, you know. Uh, it's, it is part, the, one of that, and again, there's, there's that phrase, you know, contains in a sense, no real content of its own. It's not, those are words not attached to any specific thing. It's not exactly claiming knowledge on the part of the listener, right? What it is doing instead is uh, directing you to have a certain attitude towards the speaker, right? Um, trust me, right? Be confident in what I am saying. It's a way to kind of bolster that, uh, that, that sort of, uh, that sort of perspective. Um, and therefore, as in, in some cases, and certainly I think in this case, is a betrayal of indeed the uncertainty of the person in question, right? Um, who feels that their assertion needs bolstering by such a rhetorical technique. And so what has she said? She's switched it around. You should say what you mean. And she says, I mean what I say. Now, meaning what you say is indeed a good thing, right? Indeed a good thing. And again, we can see why she falls back on this. Um, if she has lost confidence in the idea that she can successfully say what she means, right, because she's failed in that several times before, it makes sense that she would take refuge in the concept that at the very least, even should she at times perhaps fail to say precisely what it is that she means, at the very least she means what she says, right? Her intentions are right. In a sense, it's, um, in a sense, the reversal there is like a way of saying, don't pay attention to what I'm, to just what I'm saying. Pay attention to what I'm meaning. It's almost like an appeal. Play along with me, right? Just like run with me. Would you please run with me? I mean what I say. Um, uh, so even if I fail, even if my words fail to point directly to the thing, right, um, there is a thing there. And you can see what the thing is, right? Work with me. I mean what I say. I'm pointing towards something. That's the same thing you know, right? Um, but of course, it's the Mad Hatter and the March Hare and the Dormouse are quite right in saying... Well, it's no, it's not the same thing, in fact, right? Now, look at the ways in which they, uh, you know, not the same thing a bit. You might just as well say, and they all give, they each give an example of what you might just as well say as what she just did, right? You might just as well say that I see what I eat is the same thing as I eat what I see. You might just as well say that I like what I get is the same thing as I get what I like. And you might just as well say that I breathe when I sleep is the same thing as I sleep when I breathe. 
Now, what do we see? What is the pattern in these three statements? On the one hand, they all do the same thing grammatically, right? Like syntactically, they're all, all three creatures are making the same point. And the point is a point about the nature of the English language, right? Um, there's a certain irony here, right? In that, in Latin, for instance, right? If, uh, if this were her brother doing Latin lessons, I remember she was looking, she was remembering things from seeing her, uh, her brother's Latin grammar earlier on. If her brother were doing Latin, well, those things would all be the same thing, right? The only reason there's a difference between I see what I eat and I eat what I see in English is that English is not an inflected language, right? Word order matters in English. If you said, I see what I eat in Latin, and you switched the subject and the object, the, the, the placement of the subject and the object, it wouldn't introduce a bit of change into the statement. It would be exactly the same statement. In English, however, because of the nature of English, and English not being an inflected language, word order very much matters. So when you take the same phrase, the, the same you know, idea, I see what I eat, and you switch it around and say, I eat what I see, you have, in fact, quite significantly changed the meaning, right? Because you have taken what was the object of the verb and what was the subject of the verb, and you have reversed them. Ooh, Mighty Felix, that's wonderful. Yeah, we saw, we saw Alice doing the same thing before. Um, when she, remember, do cats eat bats? Do bats eat cats? Very good. I'd forgotten that, uh, Devorah, but you're exactly right. Uh, but you're exactly right. Um, uh, yes, yes. Um, so, um, anyhow, that's, uh, so we see, we have seen her contemplating the word order question before. Right. And of course, Mighty Felix, when she was thinking about that, do cats eat bats, do bats eat cats? That was in much closer proximity uh, to her. Uh, remember the O mouse thing, which was the reference to her brother's Latin grammar. Right. Um, that was that was when she was talking to the mouse. Right. And she was like going off into this like uh, sort of semi dream state about bats eating cats and cats eating bats. Um that was all, it was all, as I recall, that was, those things were all connected together. But anyway, um, so all three of their things, all three of their statements involve that just this, it's the simple, it's, it's the same pattern, right? I'm taking the subject and the object and I'm switching them around, right? Though, of course, notice that in all of the cases, they are noun clauses, uh, or so hang on. So let's see, uh, let's see how they work. I see what I eat. I like what I get. Yes. Okay. And then I breathe when I sleep. So the dormouse is, is different. Oh, it was when she was falling. You're right. You're right. Yeah. It was before that. It was before that. Um, but anyway, okay. Um, so grammatically, the Hatters and the March Hares are exactly alike, grammatically speaking, right? I eat, subject verb, right? Subject I, verb eat, 
I eat what? Direct object. What's the direct object of, of uh, or sorry, or starting with I see, right? I see, I, subject, see, verb, object, noun cause, what I eat, right? What I eat is the noun cause, which is the object of the verb see. I see, I see what? I see what I eat, right? And then you reverse it so that I eat what I see. Now, eat is the subject, and I what I see is the noun cause. And it's the same thing with I like what I get. I like, what do you like? I like what I get, right? Noun cause, which serves as the direct object to the verb like. And you switch the verbs around, and it doesn't work anymore, right? Because you have functionally switched the direct, the direct object, uh, you know, replace the direct object with the noun. Um, the Dormouse's is different, you see, because his is a when clause and not a what clause. Do you see the difference? The difference is I breathe when I sleep. When I sleep is a clause, but it's not a noun clause. It's an adverb clause, right? I breathe. Under what conditions do I breathe? I breathe when I sleep, right? Um, and I breathe when I sleep and I, and, um, is not the same thing as I sleep when I breathe. There is a similar shift, but it's not the same shift, right? The Dormouse is playing the same game, but he's not, but he doesn't have the same effect, right? I sleep when I breathe. What are the conditions under which I sleep, right? It has a similar effect, but it's not exactly the same effect, and the Hatter calls the Dormouse out on it, right? It is the same with you, said the Hatter, um, uh, uh, which is funny, but of course also draws attention to the fact that the, the Dormouse has done it, a li- has done, has played the game a little bit differently, hasn't he, right? Um, <laughs> yeah. Uh, so, um, Arthur is, uh, making jokes like, you know, I see, I, I eat what I see is uh, making jokes about seafood, but see, Arthur, your, um, your irresistible, uh, uh, desire to make outrageous puns about the things that we're talking about. Um, really Arthur could not be more apt, uh, than in, in any other book that we have read or discussed than it is, uh, in this book, right? Like, um, I, I mean, I don't know about the rest of you, but I was personally uh, thinking that um, uh, Arthur would make just a, a, a perfect interlocutor here at the Mad Tea Party uh, with the Mad Hatter and the March Hare, uh, as many of the puns, uh, Arthur, that you often make um, is uh, many of the puns are premised on exactly the same kind of thing, right? That is taking a word in a way which it wasn't meant, right? And you know it wasn't meant when it was originally said, right? Either by the author or by me, right? Um, and then taking it and playing on that in a different way. When you're when you're punning on something like that, you're playing a very, very similar game, right? To what, uh, what the Mad Hatter is doing here, what the Caterpillar was doing in other circumstances, right? It's uh, uh, making that kind of joke is exactly sort of 
it's refusing to um, uh, to play along in this sense, right? Refusing to play along uh, with the social conventions that the person is is kind of presuming on, right? Um, yeah, yeah. Um, right, Alyssa, yeah, we could uh, do a reenactment of the tea party at Mythmoot next week uh, with uh, uh, with Arthur playing the role of of uh, of Mad Hatter. <laughs> that's a really that's, that's a really fun idea, actually. Um, uh, I, I I I kind of think I kind of think that um, uh, I kind of think that needs to happen. Um, but uh, anyway, back to what they're saying here. So, looking at the patterns of what they're saying, on the one hand. Um, they are quite right in the fact that she has she has done exactly what they're accusing her of doing, right? She has swapped the subject and the direct object uh, of her statement, right? Um, you should say what you mean. I do. At least I mean what I say. And she is quite right. They are quite right. Logically speaking, what she has said makes exactly as much sense as... I see what I eat is the saying is is the same thing as I eat what I see, or I like what I get is the same thing as I get what I like, right? Um, no, no, it's not the same thing, and she's quite wrong merely to say that I mean what I say is the same thing, right? Um, but I want to lean a little bit harder on this distinction. Let's look at the examples that they're giving here. I see what I eat is the same thing. You might as well say, I see what I eat is the same thing as I eat what I see. Right? Okay. What's the difference between those two statements? I see what I eat and I eat what I see. It's true that the two things are non-identical, right? But they're non-identical in fairly... um, Chris, as you said, um, alarming ways, right? I eat what I see is a rather alarming, um, alarming thing to say, right? Alarmingly omnivorous. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, now here's one of the things that I would focus on here. All of the sentences that they've used in order to parallel most closely her own usage are I statements, right? Statements about oneself, which all therefore, so therefore they're all parodying Alice saying things about herself, right? It's not the same. It's a one thing. It's to say, I see what I eat, right? Um, and that is not the same thing as to say, I eat what I see. Um, I see what I eat. Well, that's kind of a silly thing to say. Um, that is not many people would often say that, um, but there's a profound difference between I see what I eat and I eat what I see. Um, if you take that simple but kind of silly statement, I see what I eat, um, sort of, un- you know, you know, I don't know what unnecessary or, or, or uh, I don't know, simple statement, I see what I eat. And when you turn it around, it becomes something I think alarming is exactly right, Chris. I think that's the point. Right. It becomes something quite shocking. I eat what I see. Um, anything that I see, I will consume, right? It turns you into some kind of monster who, as you say, alarmingly omnivorous, right? Eating everything. Um, uh, 
by switching it around, you take a small and simple statement and you make it a monstrous statement, but it's a monstrous statement about you. You make yourself into a monster by turning it around that way, right? Now, the March Hare's, I like what I get, you might as well say, I like what I get, is the same thing as, I get what I like. What does that draw attention to? I mean, again, almost any statement with almost any two verbs that work in one direction, right, of the two, would work in this. Like, they're almost, you know, there's almost infinite examples, right? Um, uh, you know, um, some of them work, right? Um, but uh, uh, many of them don't. Um, anyway, um, but yes, JJ, good. I like what I get seems rather humble, whereas I get what I like sounds very greedy, right? That is a reversal of attitude, right? And once again, so I like what I get is humble, right? As you say, hum I think humble is a, is, a good, is a good way to describe that, right? I am content with what I have, right? I'm content with what I receive. And whatever it is that I do receive, I shall be content with it, right? I am easily pleased. I like whatever it is that I get, right? And that that's profoundly different from I get what I like. Whatever it is that I like, I go after until I have it, right? I insist on it. So it's, um, there's like a moral reversal in the March Hare's example. The Mad Hatter statement turns a simple description of a simple thing, like eating the food that's in front of you, and makes you into a monster who will eat any one and anything in its field of vision, right? Um, so it, both of these things are transformative, transformative of the speaker, right? Um, the Dormouse is, is also transformative, though again, differently so because of its being an adverbial cause rather than a noun cause. I breathe when I sleep, and I sleep when I breathe, right? Um, under what circumstances do you breathe? Well, I breathe when I sleep. Of course you do, right? I sleep when I breathe means you sleep all the time, like apparently the Dormouse does, right? Um, so no, those aren't the same thing, um, but they're not opposed to each other in the same... There's not the same kind of transformation, right? Um, you're making a much more profound statement about yourself in the second one, in the Dormouse's second example, than in the first, right? Um, uh, but um, um, but it's not um, it's not transformative in the same way. There's not that same kind of monstrousness in both of the cases of the Mad Hatter and the March Hare. The reversal shows that you are turning yourself into something alarming, right? Um, I eat everything that I see and I get whatever I like. Um, I, it becomes me, 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 right? It becomes, it becomes about myself and I shall uh, make everything serve my desire and my appetite, right? Both of them go in that same direction. Uh, in other words, they seem to be examples that are chosen to make a particular kind of point, I think, or at least to, to um, sort of alarmingly characterize Alice in a fairly similar uh, and unpleasant way. Now let's go back to the reversal that she did, which is indeed of exactly the same form. And no, it is not logical for her to say that it's the same thing. But why does she say that's the same thing you know? 
why does that seem even briefly like a reasonable thing for Alice to say? I say what I mean, and I mean what I say. She says that's the same thing because those two things are meant to go together. I say what I mean is a statement about the precision of your language. I mean what I say is a statement about your uh, intentions, right? About your uh, your veracity. Um, the first one means I speak correctly. The second one means I speak honestly, right? There is exactly. It's about being truthful. That's exactly right. Um, uh, there is not. So no, they're not the same thing. Um, but they can go together, right? Um, I mean, unlike, uh, Alice's reversal, I mean, no, they're, they're, they're not identical. They're not in fact the same thing. Um, but they do not have the effect of the examples that the Hatter and the March Hare give, right? It would be like saying, I eat what I cook and I cook what I eat, right? Uh, those two statements are not the same thing. But neither are they a radical reversal, right? Um, you know, one is a statement about your diet and the other is a statement about your culinary habits, but they're complementary to each other, right? As meaning what you say and saying what you mean are also meant to be complementary to each other, not reversals of each other. Exactly, Rachel. There's no moral difference between those two things. Um so, no, it's not the same thing, but what might have been a stronger argument on Alice's part would have been to say, at least I mean what I say, and that's more important, you know, right? Um, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, I mean what I said, and I said what I meant. An elephant's faithful 100%. Yeah, you're thinking about Horton the elephant? Uh, yeah, yeah, I hear that. I hear that. Um, uh Yes. Yes. Um, yes. Notice that Horton the Elephant in the Dr. Seuss book um, does not make fine distinctions between the two halves of Alice's statement there, right? Between I say what I mean and I mean what I say, right? Um, the repetition of the both of them jumbled together uh, as a refrain, as we get from Horton in the Dr. Seuss book, um, shows that the two things are meant to be complementary to each other. Um, indeed, there's another person for whom I say what I mean and I mean what I say are something like the same thing, come to think of it, right? Horton the Elephant is one example. Another good example would be Faramir, Right? Um, not if I found it by the highway, I said, right? Um, he would, uh, he's, he means what he says, even if he doesn't understand what he said, right? Even if he wasn't saying what he means, he's going to mean what he says, right? Um, he said it, and so he's going to mean it. Right. He's going to take his words 
as if they were a vow and hold himself bound by them, despite the fact that he did not indeed know the meaning of his words when he said them, right? Um, and so, kudoi to Faramir, meaning what you say is more important than saying what you mean. And sort of he, the, the uh, uh, sort of determination with which Faramir in the Two Towers demonstrates that he means what he says ends up changing, like, he, em- he, he embraces the meaning that his words have, even though that meaning was unintended by him at the time, right? Um, you'll remember, of course, by the way, there's another near quotation of this um, by Mr. Mugwort in Bree in The Fellowship of the Ring, right? Um, and I mean what I says, what's more, right? When he talks about Frodo going slap through the floor without leaving a hole, Um uh, this is uh, this issue of meaning what you say. It's a it's a big deal, right? Amir will talk about this too. We are truth speakers, right? That's Faramir again. But uh, uh, that um, uh, Far- Amir is the one who says that they're not easily deceived because they speak the truth. Um, but anyway, the point is these two things are very closely connected to each other. In fact, right, and they are complementary. Um, so on the one hand. The Hatter and the March Hare are quite just in their criticism. Those two things are not identical, and their examples demonstrate uh, the significant differences that can emerge, right? English does not work that way. You cannot just exchange the noun and the object. You can almost never exchange the noun and the object and retain the same sense, right? You're going to be saying something different if you switch the, the noun and the object in almost every case. Um, and they cite examples where the gap between the one statement and the other statement are particularly wide and peculiarly alarming. And in fact, again, both of them trend in the direction of this monstrous moral transformation, right? And yet, they're both being quite unfair about what Alice has just said. Um, because although, of course, there, it's not the same thing, they are quite complementary, and she is quite right to insist. At least I mean what I say. That that is very important, right? Um, if not the same thing, it is very important, and it wouldn't take much playing along to give her a little bit of credit for that. Um, in fact, it's interesting to me. The dormouse seems to be a little bit closer. That is. The Dormouse is trying to play along with the Hatter and the March Hare and make a statement that is similarly um, nonsensical, right? To illustrate the nonsense that Alice has just been guilty of. Um, And I breathe when I sleep, and I sleep when I breathe. Similar, but as I said, it's it's an adverb clause instead of a noun clause. It doesn't work the same way, and it doesn't have the same effect, right? Um, But actually, it seems to me to illustrate a little bit more closely what Alice was actually doing, right? Um, Saying you breathe when you sleep is not saying all that much, right? Um, But saying I sleep when I breathe is saying something, making a, a much more profound claim, right? 
you could say the same about I say what I mean, which is a fairly simple, limited claim to make, and I mean what I say, which is a much more profound, much more significant claim to make, right? Um, uh, yeah, yeah. Um, oh man, I would be totally up for studying at least some of the Dr. Seuss canon. Um, Dr. Seuss would be really fun uh, to discuss in uh, Mythgard Academy. Um, I'd probably spend less time on the poetry than you think. Probably. A little bit, anyway. Um, uh, Dr. Seuss is so regular, but it would be really fun to watch what he does with his verse. But, um, yeah. I could get behind six by Seuss. We'd have to choose which ones, though. Have like a whole separate election, right, uh, for that. We'll see. Uh, but, uh, but yeah, it would be fun to talk about Dr. Seuss. Um, big fan. Okay. Um, and then of course the Mad Hatter teases the Dormouse about it, that those two things are in fact identical for him. And so notice again, we come back to what Alice really meant, right? For the Dormouse, the simple limited claim and the much more profound, the simple limited claim I breathe when I sleep and the much more significant and profound claim I sleep when I breathe are in fact both true. As both the limited claim, I say what I mean, and the more profound claim, I mean what I say, are both true for Alice, too, right? Well, you know, mostly, right? She's working on it, uh, but um, uh, but they are not willing to give her any slack, of course. Um, anyway, meanwhile, Alice is still thinking about ravens and writing desks. Um, and of course... Um, it turns out you remember the answer to the riddle. They have no idea, right? There's, there is no answer uh, to the riddle. She finally gives up and asks them to tell her the answer. And they say, oh, we don't know, right? Um, in other words, just as she had thought they were finally on safe ground, asking riddles, playing the riddle game, right? They're playing the riddle game together. And she's like, okay, I know how this goes, right? I now, we are now, we have entered into a convention that I understand the rules for and that I enjoy, Right, this is a game I enjoy, and I know how to play this game. Great, right? But it turns out, of course, she's quite wrong to assume that they are going to play along with the same game that she knew. Right? Okay. Um, watch what happens next. Alice had been looking over his shoulder with some curiosity. What a funny watch! She remarked. It tells the day of the month and doesn't tell what o'clock it is. Why should it? Muttered the Hatter. Does your watch tell you what year it is? Of course not, Alice replied readily. But that's because it stays the same year for such a long time together. Which is just the case with mine, said the Hatter. Alice felt dreadfully puzzled. The Hatter's remark seemed to her to have no sort of meaning in it, and yet it was certainly English. I don't quite understand you, she said, as politely as she could. Um, notice, by the way... Um, Notice, by the way, that, um, uh, oh, what a wonderful example, Mighty Felix. You're quite right. Um, to ask someone a riddle to which there is no answer and you have the faintest idea what the answer could be would be like um, showing somebody a Where's Waldo page in which there is no Waldo, right? Um, yes, that's exactly what it would be like, right? There's a, uh, there's a, there's a kind of contract between the two people playing the game, right? Uh, that uh, uh, 
the riddle is going to have an answer, and they're not playing along with that. Um, but, okay. Um, yeah, you can see, by the way, although what have I got in my pocket is not a proper riddle, um, it's not cheating as badly as this, right? Bilbo, is, it's, it's still... Um, it's not a proper riddle, but it still falls within the bounds of the game. It's a question to which there is a correct answer that could be guessed, right? And um, when he gives him three guesses to guess it, then, you know, that, that he, he gets multiple guesses because, you know, this he doesn't have the normal cues, right? Um, a riddle provides clues, right, that you can put together uh, in order to uh, figure out, right? You can you think you can figure out the answer, right? Um, normally, with a riddle. Um, well, you have some clues to use in order to try to figure out what somebody might have in their pocket, um, but it's going to be a little bit harder, right? So, but get, so th- getting three guesses sort of makes it fair. So he's not cheating. Bilbo doesn't cheat, but it is not a proper question. Right. But of course, you can also see why the authorities agree that once the question is accepted and you're given three guesses, uh, that it becomes binding. Again, it is nothing like as big an interruption of the game as um, uh, as what the March Hare does to Alice with the uh, writing desk and Raven's riddle. Um, And fourth, unless you're right, he really gets gives him four guesses. Right. by the way, you'll see how many times I keep coming back to The Hobbit, especially here. Um, again, there are like deep, deep ways in which Lewis Carroll was influential uh, to both Lewis and Tolkien. Um, in so many ways, Lewis Carroll informed like what... Lewis Carroll was just the kind of children's literature that they liked best. And so when both C.S. Lewis and J.R.R. Tolkien sat down to write children's literature, um, Alice in Wonderland and Through the Looking Glass are like the model, right? Um, uh, There is a sense to which, you know... The Hobbit... And The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe are to the Alice books as fantasy of the second half of the 20th century is to The Lord of the Rings, right? I mean, that is defining the genre, establishing this pattern, which people tend to follow whether or not they're even explicitly thinking about following it, right? Um, uh, being derivative without really like trying, in most cases, to be derivative, um, just because of the profundity of the influence um, and the way that it sort of blazes the trail. Um, I, I think Lewis Carroll's books were very much that, uh, as, for, as far as children's literature was concerned, uh, to Lewis and Tolkien both. Um, but... Um, Anyway, yes. Oh, Gerald, you're exactly right. Uh, thank you. You're, and I, th- I think it's the March Hare who says it, but you're precisely right. The March Hare doesn't say it's a riddle, right? If we go back, that was Alice's own fault. No, it is the Hatter. I'm sorry. I apologize. Uh, yeah, so the Hatter says, just says, why is a raven like a writing desk? 
Um, it's Alice who says, I'm glad they've begun asking riddles. She's playing along. She believes that she is taking up their cue. She knows where we are now. Oh, we're asking riddles. Great. I know that game. I like that game. But you're right. It's not like the Mad Hatter has said, let's play the, the riddle game, right? And then breaks the rules. The problem is Alice's assumption that he was playing the game at all instead of just asking a random question to which he didn't know the answer. He could be seeking information, right? I mean, if he had prefaced, prefaced that by saying, I've always wanted to know, why is a raven like a writing desk? Right? Uh, you know, but, of course, he has given nonverbal cues to her by the structure of the question, right? The taking of two unlike things together and asserting a likeness between them, right? You know, how, why is a raven like a writing desk? It, it, it asserts that there is a similarity. It, it doesn't, it can't explain the similarity, right? It's a challenge to explain it, right? Um, so the structure of it is, is exactly like a riddle. And yet, you're right, he technically hasn't said that, right? Um, okay, but anyway, Back to the next example. Back to the watch. So, notice, having had the disappointment of the riddle game here, um, Alice now finds herself puzzled. Now the normal thing, the normal conversation exchange that they're having between her and the Mad Hatter is is itself like a riddle that she can't figure. She felt dreadfully puzzled. Right? As if the Mad Hatter has given her a riddle that she can't answer. She can't figure out what meaning is in it at all, and yet it was certainly English. Again, this is exactly like a riddle. You make a statement and which doesn't seem to make sense, but if you look at if there's there's a certain angle from which you look at it, and then it it will make sense. That's how you figure out the answer to a riddle, right? Um she's puzzling at it like a Riddle, but she she can't get it at all. Which is just the case. So, okay, what has puzzled her exactly? Um, so let's do it again. What a funny watch. It tells the day of the month and doesn't tell what o'clock it is. Why should it? Does your watch tell you what year it is? Of course not. But that's because it stays the same year for such a long time together, which is just the case with mine. Um, okay. Um, where does, where, how, and why does the Mad Hatter lose Alice here? Alice begins with the observation that the Mad Hatter's watch is funny. What is funny about his watch? Well, a watch normally tells you what o'clock it is, right? So it tells the hour. That's the job of a watch, to tell you the hour and minute. Instead, the Mad Hatter's watch is funny because instead of, not in addition to, but instead of telling the, the time... It tells the day of the month, right? Now, that 
makes sense, right? That's unusual. Most watches don't... Most watches tell you what o'clock it is, rather than telling you the day of the month. The Mad Hatter's response... Why should it? Does your watch tell you what year it is? Why should... So his... The literal meaning of his question... It doesn't tell what o'clock it is. Why should it? Why should it tell what o'clock it is? Does your watch tell you what year it is? Of course not. No, her clock doesn't tell you what year it is. And she can explain why that is. Because it stays the same year for such a long time together. Um, Now, of course, her rationale also applies to her initial observation. Why is it that clocks don't... Why is it funny to have a clock which just tells you the day of the month? Well, it stays the same year for quite a long time together. Um, You shouldn't need a watch to remind yourself what year it is. Um, Any more than you should need a watch to remind you what day of the month it is. Though... Uh, the older I get, the increasingly handy I think that that would be. Um, and um, I think I look at my watch to find out the day of the month uh, almost as often as I look at it to find the time of the day. Um, but, um, uh, and of course, again, increasingly, the older I get, the more I think it might actually be a bit handy to have a watch that tells you what year it is. Um Alice is offering, however, a very sensible explanation. A watch is something that you carry around with you in order to refer to it, to help you know something you might not otherwise know, you would otherwise lose track of, and that is precisely what a clock is it, right? Um, If you're losing track of what day it is over the course of the entire day, right? You might need to look at a calendar once to see what day it is, right? But you ought to be able to remember that until the sun comes up again tomorrow, it's going to remain the same day, right? Um, So she gives a sensible explanation. But um, the Hatter then responds, which is just the case with mine. That's the remark that seems to Alice to have no sort of meaning in it at all, and yet was certainly English. It's an English statement. The fact that she that that Carol says, yet it was certainly English, um, draws our attention to language, right? And so we should think about this. Um, what is interesting about what the Hatter has? What is confusing about what the Hatter has said, right? Um, and Alyssa, I think you're just right. The referent is uncertain, right? Which is just the case with mine? Which what? The Hatter has not uttered a sentence, right? Um, Right. And my what? Yes. Now, mine... I assume means my watch. 
I think of that of that of the matter Mad Hatter statement. It's true that he's not stated explicitly that his refers to his watch, and it's possible that it could be other things. Um, but I'm willing to play along with the Mad Hatter here and think that mine, especially italicized as it is, is referring back to the primary subject of this entire conversation, which is his watch, right? The problem that I have with his statement is that it's a fragment, right? He's not made a statement at all. When you make a fragmentary statement like this, which is just the case with mine, you are implicitly tagging your statement onto the statement that was made before, right? In a sense. I mean, it's, it's, a, it's a rhetorical mechanism for replying to somebody, which is just the case with mine, right? That is, what you said is true of mine, too, right? The, 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 the referent of which... The relative pronoun here, in this case, is what you just said. It stays the same year for such a long time together, which is just the case with mine. Okay? I guess? So, um, yeah, all right. So his watch, it's also true of his watch that it stays the same year for such a long time together. Okay. And she's very... Why is she puzzled? I think the puzzlement doesn't enter with that last statement. In that last statement, the Mad Hatter is merely going one step further. The, um, the place where the Mad Hatter has confused Alice, I believe, comes in his first statement. It tells the day of the month and doesn't tell what o'clock it is. Why should it? Does your watch tell you what year it is? Okay. That's where the non sequitur happens, right? Um, We weren't talking about what year it is. She was talking about his watch tells the day of the month. Hers by implication, though she's not made an explicit claim about it, right? But she is, the premise of her statement is that the normative watch tells what o'clock it is. So we have two, there are two terms, right, to this debate so far. You have the normal clock, which tells you what o'clock it is, and you have the normal watch, which tells you what o'clock it is, and the hatter's watch, which tells you the day of the month, right? And in response to this two-body problem, the Hatter then introduces a, com- a statement which makes an assertion, or which, you know, which brings in a completely third item. Does your watch tell you what year it is? No. That's just the case with mine. Okay, so what, we now agree that neither of their watches tell what year it is? And so therefore, it's not funny? That seems to be ultimately the direction that the Hatter is going, right? She says, what a funny watch, and he seems to be defensive on that point, right? My watch is not funny. It's no funnier than yours. Both of our watches make the same amount of sense, right? Why? Because neither one of them tells what year it is. 
which is just the case with mine, because it stays the same year for such a long time together. Of course not, which is just the case with mine. So again, I don't think that his, which is just the case with mine, has anything to do with her explanation, but with her of course not statement, right? Does your watch tell you what year it is? Of course not, which is just the case with mine. And so since neither my watch nor your watch tells what year it is, neither one of them is funny now, is it? They're pretty, they're functionally the same watch. He has rejected the actual difference between their watches, right? By asserting a third separate similarity, which binds their two watches together and seems now to rest content that he has disproven that he has a funny watch, right? Um, yes, no, I agree, Copperfinch, that the, uh, um, uh, the, we had the rabbit looking at his watch earlier on, right? And the implication there, the assumption that we were all making, we know that Alice is correct, that the normative watch tells you what o'clock it is, because we all assumed that the white rabbit's watch was doing that, right? Um... Yeah, yeah. Um, right, well, we'll get to the buttered crumbs, I think, Gerald. Um, right, fourth thought says, I read this to me and the clock stays the same for such a long time together. Well, it's possible, of course. We don't know quite how things work in this new world, right? Um it might not be the it might not be the hatter's watch which is funny in this world it might be alice's o'clock watch which is funny um that is certainly that is certainly possible now we're not going to see exactly that kind of thing that's sort of more of a looking glass joke than an alice in wonderland joke exactly but um uh yeah yeah jocelyn you're absolutely right we did only assume that his watch was telling what o'clock it was because he talked about being late. Um, but it is possible that he could have been late looking at the date. He could have been looking at the day of the month, right, uh, and saying that he was going to be late. Uh, that is also... It, we can't prove that, right? Um, nevertheless, the Mad Hatter's proof is a an odd one and based on essentially a non-sequitur, right? Um, and Alice is dreadfully puzzled because this... Notice she is trying to engage with explanations. What is the job of a watch, right? I determine what a funny watch is by figuring out what is the essential purpose of a watch, of what needs to be put on the face of a watch. And I can explain to you why, of course, it's ridiculous for any watch to say what year it is. Because you don't need a watch for that, because it stays the same year for such a long time together. right? She's being very logical in trying to explain what the purpose of a watch is, and therefore, to define carefully what makes a watch funny. right? Um, the Mad Hatter will not play along with this, and she ends up so puzzled that she just has to say, I don't quite understand you. Where did I lose the thread of this conversation? Right? She simply doesn't follow it at all. 
Um, Alice sighed wearily. I think you might do something better with the time, she said, than wasting it in asking riddles that have no answers. This is after the uh, Raven and writing desk thing has been revealed, that they don't know the answer. I think you might do something better with the time than wasting it in asking riddles that have no answers. Now, we've segued to this from the watch, right? So we're still thinking about time. If you knew time as well as I do, said the Hatter, you wouldn't talk about wasting it. It's him. I don't know what you mean, said Alice. Of course you don't, the Hatter said, tossing his head contemptuously. I dare say you never even spoke to time. Perhaps not, Alice cautiously replied. But I know I have to beat time when I learn music. Ah, that accounts for it, said the Hatter. He won't stand beating. Now, if you only kept on good terms with him, he'd do almost anything you liked with the clock. For instance, suppose it were nine o'clock in the morning, just time to begin lessons. You'd only have to whisper a hint to time, and round goes the clock in a twinkling. Half past one, time for dinner. I only wish it was, the March Hare said to itself in a whisper. That would be grand, certainly, said Alice thoughtfully, but then I shouldn't be hungry for it, you know. Okay. The Bad Hatter now turns in a completely different way. Notice, do you see some of the differences between how the Mad Hatter is primarily the Mad Hatter that the March Hare is playing these games too? Um, how the, the Hare and the Hatter primarily. Um, the difference between how they play with Alice's words and how, for instance, the Caterpillar played with Alice's words. Um, the Caterpillar was always taking offense, right? The Mouse was always taking offense though, with some reason. The Hatter and the Hare um, play very different kinds of games, right? In fact, you get the sense that just as Alice took their words for a riddle that she was supposed to guess, right? And thought that they were in agreement about the kind of game that they were playing, right? It's almost like they're doing the same thing to her, taking her statements. The Hatter asks a question about writing desks and ravens, right? Possibly, as I suggested, seeking information, right? Um, and instead, and Alice takes it as a riddle and gets upset. Well, sighs wearily, at least, uh, when she hears that there is no answer to the riddle and they're not actually playing the riddle game at all. Right. Um, they respond to her in many ways as if her words are riddles, which she does not intend to be riddles. Right. Um, and so here we see them seizing on another thing. Right. I think you might do something better with the time than wasting it in asking riddles that have no answer. If you knew time as well as I do, you wouldn't talk about wasting it. So pause for a second. Before we get to his final turn there, we see him calling her on the metaphor that she's using about wasting time. Right? You are wasting time. Better with it, Do something better with the time than wasting it in asking riddles that have no answers. Um, the idea of wasting time is a metaphor that's based on what? You see the metaphor that underlies the concept of wasting time? Right? 
what is the fundamental metaphorical concept or assumption that underlies the expression wasting time or spending time or um, I mean, there's several other time expressions like making good use of time, right? Using your time wisely. All of these things. Passing time. Sure. Sure. Um, what is the fundamental metaphor that underlies those things? Yes, um, the f finitude of time um, and its limitation. Both of them are definitely... Um, um, uh, that underlies both of those. But, but it's not only that. It's not only that. Think about the relationship with time that they suggest, right? If you are wasting time, what does it imply about your relationship to time? If you are spending time, what does it imply about your relationship to time? What are you saying about time? Probably, almost certainly without thinking about it, right? But there is an assertion about our relationship with time that is implied in there. Yeah, time is a time is a commodity, exactly, Copperfinch, that you that you have or own time in some sense. That it's it's yours, right? Um it's a it's it's your it's your possession. It's it's a it it's it's a commodification of time, right? Um you can only waste something if you have it in the first place. You can only spend something that you have. You can only use something that you have, whether you're making good or bad use of it, right? But if you're making use of it, um, it's still, you are the one in charge, right? You are the one who possesses time in that sense, right? Um, that seems to be what the Mad Hatter is calling her out on. But again, you notice how it's like it's almost as if the Hatter is taking her statement as if she intended it to be a riddle, right? Um, the Mad Hatter immediately calls her out on this by saying, if you knew time as well as I do, you wouldn't talk about wasting it, right? Um, your metaphor, your implicit metaphor about time is inaccurate. You wouldn't say that if you knew time like I did. You wouldn't talk about wasting it it's him. Time isn't a thing that you have. It's a person, says the Hatter. I don't know what you mean, said Alice. As, of course, again, very few of us ever think about. There's so many things that we say that are metaphorical that we just we don't even think of as metaphor. Um, and, in fact, so much so that if somebody, if somebody pointed out that the vast majority of what you say is in fact metaphorical, right? That like your language is metaphorical through and through. Uh, you can barely utter a sentence without using metaphor on one level or another. Um, notice I just did it one level or another, making a metaphor to what? Like, um, like floors of a house or, you know, <laughs> levels of a dungeon or I don't know what. Um, but, um, 
yes, it is like the killing time exchange from the Phantom Tollbooth uh, Tarlonia, where they're playing on the same kind of thing. Of course, the Phantom Tollbooth, very interested in this kind of uh, word play and examination as well. Um, but um, anyway, yeah, so Alice, again, but this is not the kind of metaphor that we're used to having drawn it. So she's just, she has no idea what he's talking about, right? Um, yeah, I haven't read the Phantom Tollbooth in several years. I should read it again, I think. Um, but um, but yeah, Phantom Tollbooth is uh, definitely uh, very interested in this kind of thing. Anyway, of course you don't, the Hatter said, tossing his head contemptuously. I dare say you never even spoke to time. Why is the Mad Hatter contemptuous of her? Why does he say, of course you don't know what I mean, right? Well, what he means is time, right? Um, he's taking her statement, I don't know what you mean. She means, I don't understand you, right? And, and he takes it as her saying, I don't know that thing that you're talking about, which is the person time. And he's like, of course you don't know him. I dare say you never even spoke to him. Right? He's contemptuous of her. He's contemptuous of her relationship to time. Well, if you never even speak to time, if you act as if time is a mere commodity of your own, right, then naturally you don't know time like I do. I dare say you never even spoke to time. Perhaps not, Alice cautiously replied, but I know I have to beat time when I learn music. Alice is beginning to twig to the metaphor thing, right? And so she she's like, no, I don't speak to time. So she thinks about the way in which she interacts with time most explicitly, right? So when she beats, so she doesn't speak to... She, she has never spoken to time, but what has she done to time? She's counted to it. One, two, three, four, two, two, three, four, right? She's beaten time, right? Or she's, you know, tapped it in order to to keep the beat, you know, when she's learning uh, probably the piano, right? Um, uh, yeah. Um, but Mighty Felix, you're quite right. Time in music is a totally different concept. Yeah, a quite different concept. Beating time is... We're not talking about, like, wasting time anymore, right? Um, the, the sort of time we're talking about has also shifted. But Alice is at least now trying to think of ways in which she's interacted directly with time, and there's one, right? But now the Mad Hatter's like, oh, well, of course, right? He won't stand beating. If you've beaten time, well, of course, of course you don't know him, Right? Why would time make your acquaintance, acquaintance when you're beating him all the time? Now, if only you'd kept on good terms with him, he'd do almost anything you liked with the clock. Notice how this comes back around to why his watch doesn't say what a clock it is? He is ex not no longer explicitly, but now implicitly explaining why, he, why in this world his watch is not a, a funny watch. In fact, what is funny about Alice's watch from the Mad Hatter's perspective? Well, think of what a watch 
asserts about time, right? The watch, Alice's watch, Alice's sort of watch, I mean, merely, um, merely asserts exactly the same kind of thing about time that Alice was taking for granted, right? It assists in the commodification of time. A watch is the thing that gives you the impression that you are in possession of time, right? What is the kind of thing you might say after looking at your watch? You might say something like, oh, I have five minutes. No, you don't. You don't. In what sense do you have five minutes, right? You are not in possession of that five minutes, but our watch might make us think so, right? At least that's how we talk after we look at it. Right? Our watch dictates that time proceeds in a particular fashion. Our watch is assuming that time is acting in a particular way. Right? Um, our watch demonstrates that we ass the assumptions that we make about time. Um, yes, Josiah, you're quite right. This is, in fact, explicit in the way in the way that people ask the question what time do you have right that's a slightly archaic way we don't say um we don't we rarely say that that way anymore right um uh but yes that would have been a very standard way of asking what time is it right what time do you have um and then, yes, asking, do you have time to do this? Yeah, exactly, exactly. Um, the, the, the watch, which tells what o'clock it is, as Alice suggests normal watches do, um, demonstrate the, what, the imprisonment of time, right? Our dictation to time, our assumptions about time, all, all of the above, right? But the Mad Hatter says... That's not... You wouldn't talk about... If you knew time as well as he does, you wouldn't talk about wasting it. It's him. If you just talk to him from time to time, right? If you keep on good terms with him, he'll do almost anything you like. So if it's nine o'clock, just time to begin lessons, you're about to begin your lessons and you don't want to do your lessons, um... You'd only have to whisper a hint of time, and round goes the clock in a twinkling. Half past one, time for dinner. Time will make it whatever time you want to be. Time will go along with your suggestions, right? So Hatter is suggesting dictating to time, but in a more friendly manner. You have to keep on good terms with him. You can just boss him around, right? But, you know, you stay on his good side, he'll work with you, Right? You can keep it lunchtime all day long. Why do we find out they're always having tea? Because <laughs> it's always tea time. Um, yes. It's almost like being almost winter and never Christmas, Edith. I agree. Um, yes. It's like, um, it's like the magic of the White Witch has uh, not just whispered in the ear of time, right, but um, laid a spell upon time itself, right? Yeah, it's kind of like that. Um, as I say, Lewis Carroll woven into the deep, into the fabric of both Lewis and Tolkien's imaginations. Um, but um, 
Okay. Uh, <laughs> I love the March Hare's aside. Half past one time for dinner. I only wish it was, the March Hare said to itself in a whisper. Right? Um, which is interesting, right? They are at the mercy of time still, right? Time can also, um, like we see under the influence of the magic of the White Witch, um, time can also be uh, mean to you, right? Um, the March Hare wishes it was half past one time for dinner, right? Almost wishes, almost wishes it was lunchtime. Um, but uh, it's never going to get to lunchtime for the March Hare, right? The March Hare is stuck at tea time. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, dinner was lunch, basically what we call lunch. Um, yeah, Mad Violinist, I, I think maybe we are meant to think that the Mad Hatter is responsible for freezing time. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, uh, yeah, yeah. Um, Notice Alice's objection. It would be grand, you know, to have lesson time instantly over and be able to dodge lessons, right? Um, but Alice is concerned, I wouldn't be different. If time doesn't pass, I wouldn't be hungry for lunch. So what good would it be for it to be lunchtime if I weren't hungry for lunch? This is her problem, right? Her problem is kind of about her and about her feelings. Um, when you start messing with time, or rather, if time starts messing with you, things get uncomfortable, as it seems the March Hare is possibly uncomfortable. Sorry. Okay. Um, I think I might have skipped the bits about the butter and the crumbs in his watch. It's probably a shame, but as you can see, I'm going tolerably slowly through this chapter as is. Um, and uh, what I really wanted to focus my time on, as you can tell, um, is really thinking through the patterns of the wordplay and what's happening to try to understand, like, the vocabulary, the logic, uh, because there is a logic, right? We can see that it exists, um, what's happening and how... Um, Alice perceives many differences, right, between what, like, her expectations are disappointed all over the place, right? Things just don't work like she expects them to work. And, um, but it's not because it's just random, right? Okay, we get the Dormouse's uh, story. I love the Dormouse's story. Once upon a time, there were three little sisters, the Dormouse began in a great hurry, and their names were Elsie, Lacey, and Tilly, and they lived at the bottom of a well. What did they live on? said Alice, who always took a great interest in questions of eating and drinking. They lived on treacle, said the Dormouse, after thinking a minute or two. They couldn't have done that, you know, Alice gently remarked. They'd have been ill. So they were, said the Dormouse, very ill. Alice tried a little to fancy to herself what such an extraordinary way of living would be like, but it puzzled her too much, so she went on. But why did they live at the bottom of a well? "'Take some more tea,' the March Hare said to Alice very earnestly. "'I've had nothing yet,' Alice replied in an offended tone, "'so I can't take more.' 
You mean you can't take less, said the Hatter. It's very easy to take more than nothing. Nobody asked your opinion, said Alice. Who's making personal remarks now? The Hatter asked triumphantly. Because remember, Alice had corrected him earlier about making personal remarks. Um, yes. Um, for Thalys, you are absolutely correct that Alice is a horrible listener. Um, she is interrupting continuously, just as we are told Tertia interrupted no more than once a minute in the initial poem, as you'll recall, right? Um, so yes, she is a terrible listener. And notice how she has begun to think like the Mad Hatter in some ways, right? They lived at the bottom of a well. What did they live on, right? Now, this is an expression that they is clearly very common, Um this is a question that comes up a lot. Um, we don't use this expression much anymore, but I believe that it was a very common expression. What did they live on means what did they eat, right? Um, Alice is very interested in imagining these three sisters who lived at the bottom of a well, and her question is, okay, well, if they lived there, what did they live on, right? Um, now, one can easily see how you could um, take that question in more than one sense, Right. Now that we're all primed to think like the Mad Hatter, what did they live on? Well, they lived on the ground, right? Uh, on the bottom of the well, right? Um, but the Dormouse says they lived on treacle. Uh, now, treacle is like molasses, basically. It's, uh, it's a, a, a very sickly sweet um, dessert-type item. Um, and this is why Alice says they couldn't have done that, you know. Like that, it's, it's like nobody can live on treacle. Um, they'd have been ill. How does she know this? Because she has doubtless been told that if she were to eat only treacle, she would be ill, right? It's the sort of thing that you tell children who would be quite happy to live on nothing but like ice cream and frosting, right? Um, that they can't, that if they do try to live on ice cream and frosting, uh, they will be ill. Um, but, um, uh, okay, so um, she's now repeating clearly what she's been told. And the Dormouse agrees. So they were very ill. They were very ill. Okay. And she puzzles to herself. Right? She tries to fancy, tries to, uh, which means she tries to imagine. Right? Fancy, that's a synonym for imagine. Right? She tries to fancy to herself what, an, what such an extraordinary way of living would be like to eat nothing but treacle, which makes you ill. So you're, continu- you're continuously eating treacle, but also continuously ill, very ill. Right? And she's trying to fancy what that would be like. Would that be a good life or a bad life? Being ill is not good, but eating treacle all the time is good, so um, not really sure what that would be. It puzzles her too much to imagine um, the sort of contradiction. On the one hand, it's perfectly logical. If you eat treacle all the time, you'll get ill, right? Um, and the Dormouse agrees, right? Um, but again, once you start playing the Mad Hatter's game, which I know Arthur never stops playing the Mad Hatter's game, but once you start playing the Mad Hatter's game, it's hard to turn it off, right? What did they live on? Oh, I can think of other ways to answer that question, right? Um, 
like they lived on the ground, right? They lived on, you know, like the, you just take the word on, right? And shift that around and take turn that question around to mean something other than what it does. But we can do the same thing to the Dormouse's answer, right? So they were very ill. Ill in what sense? Ill in the sense of being sick to their stomachs, possibly. But it could be very ill in other ways, right? Um, there are other things that one means when one says that they were ill, right? And that even before the word ill was taken over by 1980s rappers, right? Um, you know, like the Beastie Boys, for instance. Uh, uh, so even before the uh, advent of that particular connotation or that particular denotation of the word ill, uh, nevertheless, uh, that phrase could still mean more than one thing, right? Um, yes, they could be very naughty children, Mighty Felix, exactly. They, they were very ill. Um, uh, to be ill could also mean like to be bad at something, like unskilled. Um, uh, like you do it very ill, meaning you're, 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 you're doing what you're doing, you're doing badly, right? Um, so they're all, there are several ways. So... What Alice is doing, fancying to herself what an extraordinary way of living, this story is being told, but it's being told in this state of, like, almost tantalizing indeterminacy, right? As we've been trained to think about things this way, right? Um, just as Alice is not playing along with listening to a story, right? Um, she's doing very active listening, which is very in this case, very bad listening, right? By asking lots of questions. Um, she's not playing along with the story, but like, to what extent is the story playing along with us, right? Uh, there's this whole, this is tantalizing indeterminacy of the Dormouse's entire story. But anyway, let's, let's, let's keep going. So, but why did they live at the bottom of a well? We'll come back to that because of course, first we have the interruption. Take some more tea. Alice now does to the March Hare what the Mad Hatter was doing to her. I've had nothing yet, so I can't take more. Gotcha. Right? Um, by saying more, you're assuming I've had some already. Right? Because you can only have more if you've had, once you've had some. Right? Um, but then the Hatter gets her back. You mean you can't take less? It's very easy to take more than nothing. Yes, if you use the word more in a different sense, right? Um, yeah, exactly. As Fourth Thoughtless says, the great thing here is that they're both right. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, uh, yes, uh, you, you, d d it depends on what you mean by the word more or the context in which the word more is being used, right? Um, yes. And then she takes his word, nobody, and turns it back around. Nobody asked your opinion, right? Um, she, you know, she, she, or, sorry, he says nothing, and she turns it around to nobody. Nobody asks your opinion, right? Who's making personal remarks now, he says, uh, serving her criticism back at her again, right? Uh, just delightful. But anyway, back to the story. Alice did not know quite to say to this, so she helped herself to some tea and bread and butter, and then turned to the Dormouse and repeated her question, why did they live at the bottom of a well? The Dormouse again took a minute or two to think about it, and then said, It was a treacle well. 
<laughs> Do you see what he's done? He, in fact, did what we were implying before. They lived at the bottom of a well. What did they live on? They lived on treacle. Why? Because it's a treacle well. So that's what's at the bottom of the well. That's what they were living on, right? Uh, it was a treacle well. There's no such thing, Alice was beginning very angrily. But then the Hatter in March hare went, shh, shh. And the Dormouse sulkily remarked, if you can't be civil, you'd better finish the story for yourself. No, please go on, Alice said very humbly. I won't interrupt again. I dare say there may be one. <laughs> Maybe there is a treacle well. Right, okay. One indeed, said the Dormouse indignantly. However, he consented to go on. And so these three little sisters, they were learning to draw, you know. What did they draw? said Alice, quite forgetting her promise. Treacle, said the Dormouse, without considering at all this time. And that was with, oh man, I just lost it when I was rereading this before class when I got to that. Because, um, of course, you see the pun that he's made, right? Um, they're in a treacle well. So they're living on treacle because that's what's at the bottom of the well and that's where they live. So they're living on treacle, right? Um, and they're learning to draw like little girls do learn to draw. And what do they draw? They draw <laughs> treacle because it's a treacle well. So what else would you draw from a treacle well <laughs> apart from treacle? <laughs> right? Obviously. Um, so again, here, the play of, uh, uh, the play of, um, to draw, right, to draw on paper versus to draw something out of a well. Um, oh, man, awesome. But, but of course, at the same time, uh, it's like funny twice, right? It's funny because of the pun on draw um, and the context, in the context of a well. Uh, but it's also funny uh, because the image of them learning to draw treacle, like, like they're drawing like molasses, right? That's, that's, it's like a liquid. What are they drawing, right? You can't draw, you can't draw a treacle. Um, <laughs> oh man. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> Gerald says this kind of, uh, this chapter kind of reminds me of the wordplay and the naked gun. Yes, there is. I mean, there is like a minority trend of modern com comedy that plays on this same, like I, 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 on this same kind of wordplay. Um, yeah, it's not dominant in modern humor. Um, but like, this is the kind of humor that Shakespeare can't get enough of. Right. Um, yeah, yeah, exactly. Fourth Dauntless says we're straying into who's on first territory here. Yes. Abbott and Costello certainly also understood this kind of humor. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, uh, yeah. Okay. Alice did not wish to. Alice did not wish to offend the Dormouse again, so she began very cautiously. But I don't understand. Where did they draw the treacle from? You can draw water out of a water well, said the Hatter. So I should think you could draw treacle out of a treacle well, eh, stupid? But they were in the well. Alice said to the Dormouse, not choosing to notice this last remark. Of course they were, said the Dormouse. Well in. This answer so confused poor Alice that she let the Dormouse go on for some time without interrupting it. Of course they were in the well. They were well in. Well, if you're in a well, you're well in. For sure. Right? Um, uh, yeah. Yeah. Um, 
Yes, and don't call me Shirley, Jocelyn. Absolutely, yes. Airplane is, of course, another classic example of uh, um, uh, the... Um, uh, like you know the and that you know that's when I developed my drinking problem right the naked uh, the not just the naked gun but also uh, airplane airplane I think is might be one of the classic modern examples of this kind of humor uh, still being done uh, in the twentieth century. Um, yeah, exactly, Rachel. Rachel's precisely right that the Dormouse's use of well picks up on and invites one of the things that we had seen before, because, of course, the sense in which he is using the word well as an adverb here is the corresponding opposite to the word ill when used as an adverb, right? You can do something well or ill, right? Um, Like you might, if you are golfing well, you are, you know, uh, I... Getting the ball in the hole in very few strokes, right? If you're golfing ill, uh, then you're doing much worse, right? Um, so the way that he's taking the noun and making it into the adverb, right, suggests very much that when he says that they were very ill before, that he's similarly, um, uh, he's similarly playing there, right? Um, Alice is trying, still trying, to make all of this work with her logic in some sense, right? The Dormouse's entire story, which never ends up making any sense, right? But it's just this delicious, which seems an appropriate adjective to use in this case, that's if you like treacle, um, which I think I would. I'm not sure that I've had treacle uh, treacle tarts, of course, one has treacle tarts, which I've always imagined were something like, um, uh, uh, oh, what's like the American equivalent of the treacle tart? Um, like, a you know, like a, like a pie with a, a great deal of brown sugar in it. Um, like, a, like a pop tarts. Yeah. L- like a shoe fly pie. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. That's always how I imagine it. Or like pecan pie. Yes, exactly. Um, Yeah. Except maybe with her without pecans, but but yes, exactly, yeah, pecan pie without the nuts, um, absolutely. Um, but um, really, they make treacle in Cincinnati, JJ. I never knew this. I'll have to, I'll have to look for treacle when I'm in Cincinnati for Buckeye Moot in July. Um, but um, yeah, yeah, okay, that's that's always what I do. So I, I I think I probably would like treacle, but anyway, I'm digressing. The entire story of the Dormouse is this rich play on the slippage of words, which Alice contributes to without... So on the one hand, she's interrupting it, but on the other hand, she is contributing to it. The lived-on joke is a joke on her, like, that she creates through her interruption, right? Um... But the way that all of these things come around, to live on, the two meanings of to live on, the two senses um, of well and ill, right? Like the adjectival and adverbial senses of ill. Um, The noun and adverbial senses of well. The two different senses of the word draw, right? The way in which all of these things... And Alice is still trying to make it all make rigid sense, right? They can't... Notice she's willing to to go along 
with the slippage from the one kind of draw to the other kind of draw, from drawing with a pencil to drawing out of a well. Um, but she still has a logical problem. No, that doesn't make sense because they're in the well. And if you're in a well, you can't draw something like drawing is something that you do when you're standing outside a well. Someone at the top of a well can draw out of the well. But someone who's at the bottom of the well, the one thing they can't do is draw out of the well, right? Um, I don't understand. Where did they draw the treacle from? And the Mad Hatter tries to say, well, it's perfectly clear. If it's a treacle well, you could draw a treacle out of a treacle well. Um, but they were in the well. She, this is her problem. If they're in the well, they can't draw out of it, right? Um, yeah, yeah. Um, of course they were well in. And now she's just confused, right? Are we still talking about wells? Uh, I guess anyone who's in a well must be well in, by definition, right? Um she can't keep up with it because everything slips around, right? Um, just nothing will stay put. The language, the words won't stay put. And you'll remember, by the way, if this brings us back to the critique that they were making of Alice before, right? That it's not the same thing to say, I see what I eat and I eat what I see. If you switch things around, it changes, right? Chaos. Proceed. You make yourself into a monster, right? Um, I like what I get and I get what I like. Not the same thing, right? Well, what kind of well it is? What kind of ill it is? What kind of drawing you're doing? Um, what kind of on you're living? Like, every, the, the, nothing makes sense, right? Um, nothing makes sense here when everything is sliding around. Um, let me jump ahead because we're almost done. But I want to skip one and I want to I want to come to this scene in chapter eight when Alice is playing croquet. Alice thought she had never seen such a curious co- croquet ground in her life. It was all ridges and furrows. Which is a problem because, of course, you normally want a nice flat field to roll croquet balls along. Um, the croquet balls were live hedgehogs, and the mallets live flamingos, and the soldiers had to double themselves up and stand on their heads and feet to make the arches. Well, that all seems reasonably challenging, right? But look at the problems that it really... What's the chief difficulty, Alice? The chief difficulty Alice found at first was in managing her flamingo. She succeeded in getting its body tucked away comfortably enough under her arm, with its legs hanging down, but generally, just as she had got its neck nicely straightened out and was going to give the hedgehog a blow with its head, it would, that is the hedgehog, no, sorry, I, this is still the flamingo, it would twist itself round and look up in her face with such a puzzled expression that she could not help bursting out laughing. And when she had got its head down and was going to begin again, it was very provoking to find that the hedgehog had unrolled itself and was in the act of crawling away. Besides all this, there was generally a ridge or a furrow in the way whenever she wanted to send the hedgehog, wherever she wanted to send the hedgehog to, and as the doubled-up soldiers were always getting up and walking off to the other parts of the ground, Alice soon came to the conclusion that it was a very difficult game indeed. Right? Um, 
how can you play a game when the goals that you're shooting for, right? The 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 wickets, the um, the arches, right? That you're trying to hit the ball through, keep moving. They don't stay in the same place. And when your ball will get up and walk away, it won't stay in the same place. And your mallet, the live flamingo, won't keep its head down, right? And do what it's supposed to do. So when you're, how can you play a game when every term in the game is always shifting and changing, right? Um, And this strikes me as a deliberate metaphor of the conversation she was just having, right? The Dormouse's story is exactly like this, right? The Mad Hatter and the March Hare's conversation is quite like this, right? If you keep changing the meanings of words, right, the senses of words, if you keep swapping subject and object, if you keep turning nouns into adverbs and adverbs into adjectives and uh, exchanging one form of a verb for another homophonic form of that same verb, um, then it's it's kind of hard to play the game, right? The game of croquet relies upon certain assumptions, certain a certain rigid framework, right? That you put the arches in a particular place, you, you use a mallet, which more or less holds its shape, and you use a ball, which more or less keeps its shape and stays where you put it, right? And from there, from within those fixed boundaries, you can then have a game, right? But when those fixed terms themselves unfix themselves, are continuously unfixing themselves, what happens? Chaos. Nonsense. It's a very difficult game indeed. And this exact unmooring of like language and syntax itself is what we see, what we just saw in the Mad Tea Party, right? As they're continually not just doing what the uh, what the caterpillar did, which is taking her very literally at her word, right? Assuming that is that she was in fact saying exactly what she meant, right? Um, but they're doing something else entirely. For thoughtless, it's rather like Calvin Ball. Uh, you're completely correct uh, about that. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, and um, I, I agree, JJ. It does sound a lot more fun in a conversation uh, than in a game. And I, I would notice notice how Alice begins to play along. She gets annoyed too, right? But she's not purely literal. She also is playing. We see her in the context of the Dormouse's story that we were just looking at. We see her um, beginning to twist words in her own way and try to play the game that they're playing, right? Um, uh, like we see in the with the more and less, right? I can't have more because I haven't had any, right? Well, then you can't have less, right? Um, that can be a fun game, right? But the fun that they're having, just as it sounds like she's having quite a good time with her flamingo, even though she's not making much progress as far as croquet is concerned, right? So you're unlikely. She's unlikely to complete this croquet match, um, just as she's unlikely to get anywhere in her conversation with the, the Mad Hatter and the March Hare, right? Um, any more than you'd be 
able to know what time it is, apparently, by looking at your watch. Even if you had a, what Alice considers an unfunny watch. Well, um, we are out of time. I skipped the one passage from chapter eight, but that was, uh, um, I don't have too much to say. Chapter eight, of course, is when we meet the queen of hearts. Um, we'll come back, of course, to the queen of hearts. Let's proceed on, read chapters nine and 10 for next time. Don't forget next time, not next week, because next week I will be, uh, by this time I'll be, where will I be? probably still on the road. I might have arrived at Virginia by now, but I may not. I might still be somewhere in Maryland or something uh, by the time uh, uh, we get around to class time next week. So I'll be traveling down to Mythmoot. Um, looking forward to seeing many of you at Mythmoot. I know that a bunch of you are, a bunch of you are going to be able to make it. Um, if you haven't uh, signed up yet. There's still time to sign up for Moot Hub uh, for our remote attendance. Um, we had to close... Uh, live uh, attendance, uh, you know, in-person attendance, physical attendance, um, but remote attendance is still possible. So um, we can take Moot Hub signups. Uh, strongly encourage you to get involved if you can. It's going to be a lot of fun. We do a lot to try to, um, you know, make everyone who's participating from home, um, uh, you know, inc- there's some a bunch of things that we are planning, which are really explicitly for uh, the remote community that uh, I know that the people who are at home can't do everything that we who are there are able to do together. They can't be involved in everything that we're doing, but there are some things that we're going to be doing for the remote people that the people there won't be involved in uh, also. So we're trying to include everybody as much as we can. So still time to sign up for um, uh, for Moot Hub. Uh, if you would like, go to signumuniversity.org slash events uh, and uh, join us remotely for Myth Moot this year. All right. Thanks, everybody. Um, looking forward to uh, seeing many of you both uh, online and in person next week at Mythmoot, and we'll be back the week after. Thanks, everybody. Bye now.